super excited for this. That's all good. Um, I've got a confession to make. Um, I'm not Catholic, it's okay. Um, Canon, the printer, is not working very well. So um, I've got a mixture of computer here and a mixture of my head. So uh, if I start talking about physics, I've truly lost the plot. Um, that's okay, I know physics, so that's good. Um, but just before we get into it, um, just let us pray. Father, what we don't know, teach us. What we don't see, show us. Lord, what we don't hear, tell us. And Lord, may you help me speak the words you want me to speak today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, so we're looking at the book of Titus. And uh, Titus is an exciting one, because it's a short one. Um, if you don't like reading like me, it's good. Um, if you're doing a Bible in a year plan and you really want to look like you're getting ahead, um, good one to do. Start with that. Take it off. Looks great. Um, it's two and a, roughly two pages long, okay? And, um, but despite its brevity, it's actually a really, really important um, letter. Two reasons. One, with First and Second Timothy combined, they form what's called the pastoral epistles. So that gives guidance to um, congregations, which is really useful for us. And the second thing is that actually it's a bit of a um, masterpiece in terms of um, its rich sort of theology of salvation that's presented in here um, by Paul. And it then helps us interpret Paul's theology throughout the rest of his letters. And so um, letters, of course, are occasional documents. Okay, we don't really send letters anymore. If you get one, they might be from the police. You might not want that one. Or it might be from the tax man. We don't really want that one either. But the point is, they're being sent to someone for a purpose, right? And the same with the letters that Paul sends, okay? He sends a bunch of letters to churches and then a bunch of letters to different people. And they're all to someone for a purpose. And so to actually explore our readings today, we're going to look at the background context. So here Paul is, is writing to Titus, okay? So we need to ask the question, who is Titus? Um, Titus is a Gentile believer, okay? Or he was a Gentile believer. Um, he'd be really old if he's alive now. And uh, he uh, was a missionary colleague of Paul. So you can read more about him in 2 Corinthians as well. It's quite a good book for that. And we know about him that he was left in Crete by Paul okay, to finish up setting up this church, but also to appoint elders and those kinds of things. Okay? And Paul's writing to him for a reason. Okay? And all of Paul's letters have a common reason. He's either absent from the place and he's to communicate, Okay, because text was an option back then, or Messenger, or Instagram, or whatever you young people use these days. Bebo, if you're old like me. Um, but uh, either for that reason he's away, or, or he's departing and telling people his travel plans. But in this letter in particular, what Paul is talking about is he's talking about um, giving general guidance to the church, okay, as we've alluded to, but he's also talking about um, uh, appointing elders, as well as... Um, engaging some theological opponents that they're finding in Crete. Okay? And the church in Crete is a new church. So the majority of them are new believers. So these theological opponents do pose a real risk. Okay? They're people who haven't had the gospel very long, who perhaps are swaying left and right a little bit. Okay? Um, so it's, it's a really important letter to write. So let's dive into our reading. So Paul starts off with just some general guidance. So um, verses 1 to 2, oh, there's some general guidance. There were some slides for this, never mind. That's all right. Oh, I don't. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, verses 1 to 2, there you go, thank you. There's some general guidance. So remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. 
And so Paul here is saying that not only should people be um, obedient civil authorities, okay, should they toe the line in society and be good citizens, but he's actually saying subject to other authorities too. So he's saying in the church and the family, anyone who's rightly exercising authority over you, okay, whether an elder or a father or whatever, um, you should submit to. Okay? And he makes a nuanced sort of um, distinction here, which is really important. Sort of obedience gives you a sort of um, understanding that actually it's something you have to do. It's totally line, it's mandatory. But actually, to be subject to someone is a voluntary act. Okay? To be subject to someone's authority that's rightly exercised over you is a voluntary act and it affects how effective that authority is. Okay? Um, trust me, I would know I'm a teacher. Okay, doesn't work very well if 30 don't want to take the line. Um, and so he's making this distinction here, and he's doing this in um, a way that's actually contrasting what we see in Crete. So Crete was known for its disobedience, the people of Crete, are non-believers, their disobedience and their lawlessness. So he's basically saying, don't be like these people. And throughout this letter, he's contrasting what the church should do, but also what Crete does. Okay. Um, so they're disobedient. He's saying be obedient. He's saying be countercultural. Okay, to be ready to do whatever is good. And again, I mean I'm preaching the converted here literally, but uh, it's not a case of actually doing good to earn God's favor or earn salvation here, as we sung. It's actually a matter of doing good because it's a mark of your salvation. Okay, it comes out of true saving faith. You should do good works. Okay, same as the Epistle of James. Excellent. Um, then he goes on to say, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always gentle towards everyone. Um, there's a, I think the NRSV is a slightly better translation. I'm a bit biased. But the NRSV reads, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show every courtesy to everyone. And here you see, in the NRSV anyway, you've got these two positive commandments following two negative ones. So the two negative ones, again, this is what the people of Crete do. They speak evil of people. Um, they quarrel. Okay? But then these two positive commandments. To be gentle and show every courtesy to everyone. And they contrast. So they're pairs. So to speak evil of no one is complemented by to show every courtesy to everyone. Okay? Notice the no one and the everyone. Okay? He's not saying show, um, speak evil of no one in the church. He's saying speak evil of no one. Okay? Um, be courteous to everyone, not everyone in the church, everyone. So it's got this wider context going on, which we'll look at later. Um, the other one, we've got avoid quarreling and be gentle. So again, they complement one another. And so we can see this clear distinction where um, actually what Paul is saying is like, here's the people of Crete, and here's what you're to do. And it's actually 180. It's, it's countercultural, completely countercultural. All right. So the believers are meant to be set apart from those people in Crete. They're meant to be different and radically so. Can I think so? Thanks, um, then we get into Paul's uh, fantastic um, little theological uh, statement here. Verses 3 to 7, this encompasses. And Paul takes us through not only how salvation happens, but he sort of does it on this journey okay, of, of, of um, salvation, how you were saved. So it starts off with, with the beginning of before you were saved, this is what you look like. So again, at one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, etc. etc. So 
Verse 3, it's a common um, prior life situation. Okay? They were all like this beforehand. And this is what the people are created like now. Okay? They were like this. Then we get the turning point, verse 4. We're told that the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared. Okay? Now, God our Saviour there, Paul is actually pointing to God the Father. But, in saying that he appeared, he's actually talking about the work and life of Christ. So we're getting this understanding of the members of the Trinity working together for our salvation. And it says, he saved us, in verse 5, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. Now, the theological opponents Paul is actually taking on here, he calls the circumcisers, elsewhere in the letter. And these circumcisers were basically, um, they were Jewish Christians who said, actually, yep, salvation by faith, but actually you need to be circumcised to follow the Torah as well. Follow the law. Um, Paul is, is having a go here and saying, actually, nah, this is the gospel. You're not saved because of anything righteous you've done. Okay, it's by God's mercy. Okay. By his grace. Cool. Can I have next And then, in verses 5 to 6, he's actually telling us the how of salvation. How does an individual um, go through this process of salvation? Okay? And how God does it. He says he saves us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, or by the Holy Spirit. And so those look like two different things. The washing and rebirth, he's talking about baptism, okay? Um, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, or by the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the work the Holy Spirit does in us to produce that saving faith. Now, you've got to be a bit careful when you're interpreting this because without one, you don't need the other, okay? The work of the Holy Spirit will lead to baptism. Okay? They're not two separate things. Okay? Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So you've got He, God the Father, okay, washing your rebirth in you all the Holy Spirit. Cool, there you go. And through the work of Jesus Christ, there you go, through Jesus Christ our Savior. So all three members of the Trinity, yeah, Paul is really emphasizing actually, this is nothing you've done, the salvation is nothing of you, it's all of God. And all three members of the Trinity. So having been justified by His grace, there's a future component, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So you get that full journey there. And uh, Paul then goes on and um, does a great thing and he basically uh, then recommends his own teaching. It's always a good thing to do as a teacher. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and I want you to stress these things. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Now, again, here, those who are trusted in God, those are those who have been saved, okay, who are being sanctified, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Now, again, it's not we're not talking about good deeds to be commendable to God. We're actually talking about a radically different lifestyle to those in Crete. Again, full countercultural. And this lifestyle can only be born out of the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's what he's saying there. And again, he endorses the teacher, his teaching. These things are excellent. Good man, you've got to endorse your own teaching. If you don't, who else is going to? But anyway. <laughs> no, all is good. And profitable for everyone. Okay? So he's, again, it's not saying profitable for everyone in the church, profitable for everyone who's a Christian. Profitable for everyone in that community. Everyone in Crete is profitable for. And actually, there's an evangelistic element to it here as well. 
it's profitable for the gospel, for the cause and the place of the gospel. Cool. Take this one. Cool. And then Paul changes tacks a little, tact a little bit, and he directly goes after those circumcisers. And he says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Okay, these are unprofitable and useless. So Paul, by using the word foolish, is great. He's basically saying, hey, this is pointless. It's senseless. It's stupid. Okay, there's no point to this. We don't know exactly, and this is the problem with letters, um, is we don't know exactly what their teaching was. We do not know exactly why they thought these things. We have to sort of pick up the little bits we can from the responses Paul's giving. Okay, it's like reading someone else's mail. Um, not that you should do that, that's illegal. Um, that would not be a good work. Um, but it's a little bit like that, okay? You don't have those nuances. So what can we pick up from this? Well, it would appear that these people who are teaching this, these circumcisers, are actually appealing to uh, genealogies, okay? Probably in Genesis, right? Um, maybe some other areas of Genesis too. Um, they're, they're appealing to the law, okay? Um, but Paul labels them as controversies. So they're unsubstantiated teachings, and they're also divisive. So this is causing a rift in this church, and it's a church of new believers, so it's, it's, it's one that needs to be protected. Now, there's another problem here as well, because Titus is a Gentile believer. Right? Titus probably has never followed the law, and Titus is not circumcised. So according to these circumcisers, why should Titus have any authority over these people? Now, back in, if you look back in, um, back in the letter, in, I think it's chapter 1, verse 4, Paul actually calls Titus um, my true son in our common faith. And that's not just a term of intimacy, that's also a term of authority. He's handing him authority. He's the heir to his postulate. He's the heir to his authority. But actually... In this case, they're undermining his authority because they're going, which in our terms, you're not even saved. You, you know, you're not circumcised, you don't follow the law. How can you say this thing? So Paul's quite hard on them and says, you know what, they're unprofitable and useless. And he then gives advice on how to deal with these people. So he says, warn an unprofitable person, uh, advice a person once in a second time. Once, because chances are, even if they're just mistaken, they're going to be defensive and, you know, sore about it. Give them some time, go back twice. If they change their mind, all good. If they don't, chances are the Holy Spirit is not working inside them and they are therefore warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. So what do we take out of this? This is the big question. What do we take out of this? Should we take out of this that salvation is from God and God alone? Yeah. Should we take out of this that um, the Holy Spirit should produce good works in our lives? Absolutely. Should we take out of this that actually the work of the Holy Spirit in us and also in our churches should produce um, an effect and a positive one on the, on the uh, community around us? Totally. Should we take out of this we shouldn't actually quarrel about um, silly little uh, doctrines that are non-salvific um, with unsubstantiated claims and teachings? Yes. But do we do this? Question, do we do this? Um, the church in New Zealand is in decline at the moment. Um, and you know, I know of at least one Anglican church that's closed in the last little while, um, but there are much more. Okay? 
Um, there are record numbers of people who are saying they're not Christians. And so, are we actually impacting our communities as we should with the gospel? Okay. And churches have tended to, okay, try and stay relevant, um, which is good. So we, so we should. We should try and you know, connect with those around us. Um, we should have uh, great upstate worship music. Um, we should have you know, the latest instruments. We should have modern and, and, and attractive churches, sure. But actually, this doesn't commend the gospel. This commends the building. And Joe Blocks, who doesn't know Jesus, can go and find a building that's probably much better because there's more budget out there for other um, businesses. But what commends the gospel is a transformed life. What commends the gospel is a testimony. What commends the gospel is action. Okay? And so, when I was, funnily enough, when I was putting together this talk, um, I was watching a Jackie Pullinger video. Does anyone know Jackie Pullinger? Heard of Jackie Pullinger? A few people? Um, really quick brief bio. Um, Jackie Pullinger uh, was a missionary, still probably is, um, in Hong Kong, in the capital city. Um, she prayed lots and lots of people with drugs, okay? And she's just an amazing ministry, really amazing ministry, wonderful woman. And um, what I was watching was, it was a meeting, it was an early meeting, so it was 80s, there was interesting here and all that kind of stuff, but God was moving, and it was great. And so she's in tears, there's people on the floor in tears, kneeling, etc. Okay, and do you know what I found in the comment section underneath? Not many people going, praise God. I found quite a few people going, she's a woman, she doesn't do preaching. It's like, <laughs> Folks, avoid foolish. Hang on, what does this look like to non-Christians? What is, how does this commune the gospel? The reality is, if we are living like the world, and if um, our lives do not reflect the love of Christ, why should anyone take the gospel seriously? You know what I mean? And so we need to be very, very careful about our conduct, but also um, the way in which we treat people, and where we have these squabbles, um, because it will literally either turn people off the gospel or turn them towards it. Okay? Um, words, uh, actions speak much louder than words in this generation. Uh, this is the FOMO generation. That's the fear of missing out. Um, if you don't know what that is. And integrity is not a high thing. Everyone wants the best and the best, and, and there's not very much commitment. So actually, integrity, having integrity and character um, means a lot, and it is a good good recommendation for the gospel. Cool. Now, I'm not standing up here telling you this as someone who's sparkly and awesome and just getting it all right, because I'm really not, but thank you for your faith in me, if you thought I was. Um, but, I, I, you know, I'm someone who falls down, I'm someone who fails at this quite a bit, I'm someone who, um, you know, has several times had leadings to do things or evangelize or pray for someone and I just go, yeah, I care too much what other people think. Um, and that's, that's my issue. But the point is that when we do fall in these things, we actually get up and keep moving forwards. God knows we are going to fall, and he will work with it. But the reality is, guys, we're the only Jesus some people will ever know. We're the only Bible some people will ever read. And um, I think it was J. John who said, there's two reasons people are not Christians. He says, they've either never met a Christian, or they've met a Christian. <laughs> and you can find this if you go and evangelize. There's a lot of damage that's been done um, by the church in this regard. And we all know of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're all 
I'm sure, quite familiar with it. But what do we do with fruit? Eat it. Eat it. Good. We eat fruit. So we eat fruit. And just like another person, whoever you interact with in your life, they're going to take and eat your fruit. Okay? Now, if you go to a supermarket and you go and you buy some apples and they look great, and you take them home and you find out they're rotten, chance are you're not going to go back to the supermarket, yeah? But if you go to the supermarket and you go and buy these apples and, oh, they're delicious and awesome and amazing, so you're going to go back and want to buy more. Because they're different. You're going to go back and want to find out where they come from. And in the same way for us, if someone um, is interacting with you and they find bitterness and sourness and um, anger and quarrels and arguments, etc., um, is that person going to want to go further and look and go, oh yeah, they're different. Okay, there's enough of that in the world. If they see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, though, if that's what they taste of, the joy, the patience, the gentleness, the kindness, the, the mercy, compassion, they're going to go, hang on, you're different. Why are you different? And they'll look deeper, and that then becomes a chance and a witness for the work of Christ in your life. Excellent. Cool. So our conduct, um, our um, interactions with people, how we treat people, um, even in our worst moments, they actually become a witness to the effectiveness of the gospel. All right. Cool. Um, can I have that last slide? Cool. So I just, as a reflection on this and as a response, I just want us to think about two questions right now. Um, first one. Where have you not shown the love of God this week? Um, you know, I can, I, I can, I'm a teacher. I can tell you kids get me pretty angry. And that is not very Christ-like sometimes. Um, but where have you not shown that love of God? And the second question is, what opportunities do you have for me and this, you, you between God to show your love to someone today? Okay, we are ordained for good works. What good works are there for me today? Okay. So I'm just going to give you a minute. Um, take those two questions, God, in prayer. Okay. And then I'm going to pray for us to finish. And then we're done. Worship team, can I have you guys back up? I'm just going to pray as we finish and uh, hand back over to you guys. Thanks. 
So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you, Lord, for the work you do in this place. Father, I pray that you continue your work where you promised it. Lord, I just pray that you will be open to your leaders today, Lord, to looking for those good works and it will become an adventure for us. Show your love today, Lord. Bless us to go from this place, Lord, and help us truly be more like you. In Jesus' name.